Hi, hello, and welcome. Episode number 96 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audio Moore. I am your host. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. We've got a good one for you today. I will talk briefly about the Home Run Derby. I will talk a little bit about FC Cincinnati and the Columbus Crew and the Hell is Real Derby that took place last weekend in Cincinnati. But I will be joined by a special guest for the first time in a while, first time ever on the podcast, will be Lance McAllister. Lance is the host of Sports Talk on 700 WLW, a colleague of mine and a friend, and I look forward to having him on to talk about the Cincinnati Reds. So let's start with that before we get to Lance in just a couple of minutes. The Reds have done what they needed to do. They went into Milwaukee four games against the Brewers, knowing that they had to win at least at least two of them, or else things could start to slip away for Cincinnati. And what did they do? They went in and they won three out of four. They did what they needed to do. Now they're at the all-star break, and they're only four games out of first place behind Milwaukee. And, oh, by the way, when they come out of the all-star break, they play three games in Cincinnati against the Milwaukee Brewers. That's right. It's a bit of a strange part of the schedule this year, finishing with four in Milwaukee before the break, opening with three in Cincinnati against Milwaukee, coming out of the break. It's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, I believe the first time they've played seven consecutive games against a single team not in the playoffs since 1953. The, The question now about the Reds is, will the front office do what it takes to put this team in contention. We'll talk with Lance about that coming forward, but I think the biggest question mark surrounding this team is, do they have enough? They have proven time and time again that they can hang with the NL Central. The Cubs seem to be sellers. It looks like Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Craig Kimbrell, and maybe even Javi Baez will go by the wayside and Chicago will officially begin to rebuild following their 2016 World Series championship. I know you're saying, well, that was five years ago, but the core of that team is still there, and it seems like it's time to rebuild in Chicago. The Pittsburgh Pirates are terrible, and they aren't posing much of a threat. The St. Louis Cardinals continue to float around 500, but don't seem to be very dangerous. They struggle with scoring runs, and they struggle with giving them up in their bullpen. Then we have the Reds, who have been kind of the opposite. They don't have any problem scoring the runs, a top five, top 10 offense in Major League Baseball. Their bullpen has been better uh, as of late, the fifth best bullpen in the Major Leagues going back to June 13th, but their bullpen is still their biggest question mark. They've had struggles from Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray has been injured. Mike Moustakis is hurt. Nick Senzel is hurt. They've got multiple injuries in the bullpen like TJ Antone and Lucas Sims and Michael Lorenzen. They've got all these things, and yet somehow, some way, the Reds are 48-42 and 42 at the All-Star break, a season high, six games over 500. Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker are playing in the All-Star game this week, and Nick Castellanos right now seems to be the odds-on favorite to win the National League MVP award. He single-handedly lifted them through the series in Milwaukee and got them to this point. The question now becomes, as I just said, will the Reds front office do something enough to not only get give the Reds a chance, a better chance, at making the playoffs this season 
in winning in the playoffs this season, but will they do enough to persuade Nick Castellanos to come back next season? There's some question marks for this team at the end of the year. Tucker Barnhart has a team option. Jesse Winker will enter arbitration. Surely he'll make a little bit more money. Nick Castellanos has an option. He can leave if he chooses to do so. The Reds don't want that to happen. The fans certainly don't want that to happen. So the question becomes, can the Reds do enough or do something for those two things to happen? Reds general manager Nick Crawl spoke with the media about where this team is at and if they'll be buyers come the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, four, four games out of first, three and a half out of the wild card. Uh, you know, this team has really battled. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of come from behind wins. Uh, you know, just this team really grinds. Uh, the, the coaching staff has done a tremendous job with the guys here. Um, we have had a lot of injuries. I think at one point we had 14 guys on our 40-man roster between the big leagues and, and, uh, and the minor leagues. Uh, that were on the injured list. Uh, so it, it's been a, uh, it, it's definitely been a challenge, but it, it's been fun to watch these guys continue to grind, uh, grind through with daily injuries, uh, you know, and just, just battle back. And you know, even uh, the, the last few days, uh, just battle back and, and, and be able to win ball games. Do you feel like you're in a position to be buyers at the deadline, just the way the team has played? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if there's, if there's something we can do to supplement this team, um, it's, it's, you know, and, and help this team continue to, to win ball games. We're, we're definitely open to it. Did this help kind of fortify that, the three out of four from the Brewers? No, I, I think, you know, over the last few weeks, we've, we've done a good job uh, in almost every series. And, and, you know, even a couple games we've lost, we, we've had chances to win. And, and um, you know, we've really played well in, in, in almost every game we've played um, over the last, I'd say, month. And that's what's really helped out, you know, with us moving forward. I know that at one point we were eight games behind, uh, eight games uh, behind the uh, first place, and you know where we were in the wild card. And, and these guys just keep battling and keep uh, keep working hard, and it's great to see. So there you have it. Nick Crawl says the Reds will be buyers. They are open to it. I don't know what to expect, and I don't exactly know what that means. So thankfully, we have somebody that can help us figure it out. Let's now go to Lance McAllister. We welcome into the Ball Don't Lie podcast now. He is the host of Sports Talk on 700 WLW. You can hear him weeknights from 6 to 9. He's also the host of the Inside Pitch Extra Innings. He won an Emmy covering the Chicago Bulls. And uh, the only person I've had on the show that once blocked me on Twitter, Lance McAllister. Lance, welcome to the podcast. One, I'm very honored. Two, I don't recall that moment. Three, you are currently clear for tweeting and receiving. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thankfully, we uh, we got that all cleared up. Yes. I have a question about your time before we get into the Reds. Yeah. You, I mentioned you won the Emmy. Mm -hmm. You were covering Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls at the time. What was that like? It was, um, I mean... It's cliche to say they were rock stars at the time, but but they were. I mean, they were that city. As much as Chicago is also uh, Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks, Bears, the Bulls ruled the city. The Bulls ruled the sports world. And right. everywhere they went when they got off buses, it was, it was like the Beatles version of sports. And it's still surreal thinking back to that time. And, and, and we were very fortunate as a station and as a show, Sports Page, to win the Emmy that I happen to be the host of uh, for our post-game coverage of one of their championships against the Suns. But I, I think back now, and as much as I grew up a, a Reds fan and a product of the Big Red Machine, 
uh, the fact that I can still tell stories today of Jordan and Rodman and Pippen and the triangle offense, it uh, it still uh, it, it still blows me away. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I remember watching the Last Dance last year, and you had a tweet, and you said, "Oh wait, that was me talking." You heard yourself on the Last Dance. I think you saw yourself once or twice in there as well. Yeah, I'll, was- I'll, I'll never forget because when they, they used audio from a package I did for like fifteen seconds. And I'll never forget out of my the side of my the corner of my eyes, I saw my son and my wife stare at me immediately. <laughs> and I, I had no idea. Maybe I was kind of zoned out on it. And I looked at both of them like, what? And they said, that was you. I said, what was me? And they said, they just ran part of your package from <laughs> CLTV. And uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be damned. They did not ask for my permission. So there's probably wow. a lawsuit potentially in there. So well, you might be able to get copyright a, infringement. Might be able to get a few bucks yeah. off Mike Jordan. Do you have any good Michael Jordan stories? At least one. Yes, I, I have one uh, covering him. I, I went, it has nothing to do with basketball. I covered him <laughs> his first week in spring training with the White Sox. Oh, wow. My assignment was to go to Sarasota with a photographer and cover him when he went to spring training with the Sox. And, and the number of sightings or the tracking of Jordan around Sarasota that week was unbelievable. But um, one day I happened to be around the corner of the building, their facility that you walked out to the field to, and it happened to be Jordan's birthday. And I was with my photographer, and we were somewhere where we shouldn't really have been. (laughs) And Jordan came walking out by himself to walk a long stretch to the field. And and, and I'm not kidding you. I almost passed out because I'm looking at it's Jordan, and it's me and the photographer. And I happened to say to him, I I said, Michael, do you mind if I I talk to you? And he said, as long as you can walk with me. (laughs) And I walked with him probably, I don't know, 150 yards and I was walking backwards with my photographer, so the photographer could shoot <laughs> over my shoulder at Jordan's face. So he was walking to the camera as we're walking backwards for about 150 yards, wow. trying not to fall backwards. And I'm simply asking him about stuff like what the adjustment was like. He was, you know, a couple of days into spring training, and mm-hmm. and uh, it was it, it's still hard to believe he actually gave me the time of day. But yeah, that was pretty wild. You had an exclusive, yes, with Michael yes, Jordan. Yes. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Well, that's a good segue. Let's talk about baseball because the Reds have they've done what they've needed to do over the course of the last couple of weeks. They're six games over five hundred, a yep. season high. They've put themselves in a position to be competitive in the second half of the season. What were your expectations going into this season, and how do they how do how do they match with what this team is at the moment? I, I thought they were uh, honestly. I thought they were somewhere between a seventy-eight and eighty-two win team. I, mm-hmm. I thought you could throw a blanket over that number, and if some things went right, closer to eighty-two. If things went wrong, closer to seventy-eight. Uh, had you told me that Eugenio Suarez would hit one seventy-two or whatever, <laughs> that Castillo would start the way he started, that Garrett would start the way he started, and they'd have the injuries they had. I would have never, never considered us sitting here today having the conversation we're having about a team that's six games over five hundred. There's yeah. part of me that says, I don't know how they did it. There's part of me that said, well, of course you do, because the bullpen was bad and it <laughs> held them back, yet Castellanos and Winker and others were so good, it surged them ahead. And fortunately, we're at the point where they've surged ahead to six games over five hundred because you know – it's been a little bit up, a little bit down, yeah. and a little bit back and forth with this team so far. There's been times when they've looked like a 70-win team and yes. times they've looked like an 82-win yes. team and times they've looked even better than that. Well, they are where they are at six games over five hundred. You mentioned Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker who are going to be playing in the All-Star game. 
the the question that looms over a lot of people is Nick Castellanos' return next season, if it's going to happen, and how much the second half impacts that decision for him. Do you think that the Reds will go and make a move in the front office going and doing something to bring a, a better pitcher or something to this team? Yes, I, I think it'll be – I don't think it'll be big. It won't be a big splash. It won't be nothing. And, and I keep saying that almost feels like, to me, a, a an Archie Bradley-type move right. like, like they made last season. I think they have to do something. I don't even think it has to be because of the fans. A lot of people say, you know, send a message to the fans. That'd be great. But I think you need to send a message to your players who right. busted their tail for, for 90 games and, and fought and scratched and clawed and – and overcome so many obstacles, I think it's been very clear it's been a team that, like with a neon sign, has been crying out, <laughs> we need help. Yeah. And a reliever, an established, proven reliever would do that. And I think at the same time, to your bigger point about Castellanos, I think it would be a message not just to the 26, but to him specifically to say, hey, we got something going here and we're going to try to add to it. Yeah, and I brought up the point, on Twitter over the weekend where the players and the fans ultimately want the same thing. They want an organization that's going to go for it and be behind them as they search for a championship. Nick Castellanos obviously is going to play a big role in that in the second half. If there is a move made, is there anybody on the roster right now that you see as the biggest trade piece or the most likely to be traded? See, that's the tough thing, and I'm glad you phrased it that way because so often people, and I always, whenever I get calls about trades, I always say, well, wait a minute, you want to do that. Why would the other team want to do that? And I always mm-hmm. tell people to like, get, on, get up from the table and sit on the other side of the trade table and look <laughs> at the trade you just suggested because it's easy to say trade Shogo Akiyama. Well, who realistically wants Shogo Akiyama, who's this team's fifth outfielder, right. who's a pretty good outfielder but has struggled with his swing, so you have to look at – you have to to get – here's a cliche for you. You ready for this one? You, to get something, you have to give up something. Wow. And, and that's somebody like – I'm going to write that down. That, do that. Uh, tweet it. <laughs> it's somebody like Tyler Naquin. But yeah. even Naquin, I mean, if you're – realistically, if you're another GM, you were probably looking at Naquin like the Reds. He's a, he's a decent fourth outfielder who can mm-hmm. play a couple of spots in the outfield. And when he's healthy, he's been fairly productive. But are you going to give up a big arm for Tyler Naquin? Probably right. not. And – and, and so it comes in the, in the bigger picture of your question, which teams are you going to get players from? Are they teams that seasons are over? And in that case, it's probably somebody who's expensive, who they just want to shed themselves of. So it becomes the great chase of who's available, how much do they cost, and what, what do they bring you performance-wise – and whether it's going to be a cost of money or a cost of assets, and that then gets me real wound up because we shouldn't be having a conversation about trading assets because the, these pieces we're talking about should have been acquired in the offseason right. when they reallocated money of uh, Iglesias and Archie Bradley, which in theory, well, in reality, they never did reallocate that money. It just went back to the bottom line. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting point you brought up about the teams that they would be dealing with. Let's say they wanted to trade Tyler Naquin, and who like a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Minnesota yeah, Twins? What are they going to do with Tyler Naquin? What are they going to do yeah, with Tyler Naquin? Exactly. It's, it's pointless. Then yes. you would have to start giving up assets and people in the, in the farm system. I think Tucker Barnhart is an interesting name that's been floated around. I can't see this team doing that in a similar situation where then you're dealing a contender – a player and they're not going to be willing to to come back and, and kind of play ball with you there, yeah. which uh, a relatively uh, 
interesting. Do you think that they are still on the path of trying to pursue a championship? You mentioned the reallocating funds, and, and they haven't really done anything with that money. How do you explain that? I explain it as they lost 25 to 30. They, they lost a lot of money in COVID, as mm-hmm. did every team in baseball. Sure. I will accept that as fact. Everybody lost money last year based on the parameters of, of the season. Um, but what has bothered me is this is year 15 or 16 of this ownership group. And for the first, let's say, 14 years of it, this ownership ownership group made money every year. Mm-hmm. Every year. And and during the rebuild, they shed payroll by trading the contracts of, of Chapman and Bruce and Cueto and Leak and all those guys. So th- their payroll went down in some years from over 100 to into the 80s. So I just I don't understand not being willing to take a leap of faith. And that's been my phrase of this offseason. Yes, they lost money, but in the grand scheme, they'd made money in many previous years. And I wanted them to, if it took Bob Castellini going to his investors saying, guys, look, we took a bit of a hit last year. We all took a hit, but let's agree. We've all made out pretty good in this. We've made money in the previous 14 years. The value of the franchise is quadrupled. We can take a leap of faith for one year to invest in this product, the players, and our fan base because we can't possibly go through a six-year rebuild, get to a playoff in a 60-game season, not score, and then choose to stand down and that be it for our rebuild. Nobody, I mean, of all the rebuilds that have been done in the history of baseball, how many have dared to lose 90-plus games for six straight years so they could have a two-game playoff series and say, that's it, we're done with our rebuild and we're done with taking a shot at it? That's just, you can't do business that way. Yeah, it's just just simply not logical thinking. And I, I always try to make the point, you know, those of us who play fantasy sports, whether it be baseball or football or basketball or whatever, we go through and we, we go through our lineup and, and the players available and everything each and every day, and the point of that being we want to win a championship. Yep. And it shouldn't be any different for these people that are doing this in real life. They wake up in the morning, and their sole thought should be, how do I bring a championship to this franchise? Yes. Because that is their job. That yes. is what they are hired to do. And when you don't wake up in the morning and you don't have that thought and you don't put other people's best interests in mind, whether it be the fans or the players or whoever – then you're really just doing a disservice and simply put, you're not doing your job. Well, and that is a fantastic point because the reality is when this season ended, they were a third-place team that made the postseason only because of an expanded playoff. They lost Trevor Bauer. So if I'm the owner who's gone through six years of losing and and I finish third, squeak in, don't score, Bauer leaves – my my marching orders for my general manager have to be, we've got to make this team better. They yeah. can't be to my general manager, make this team better, but I'm taking $30 million off the books that you can't spend. That's insane. And I've always said, you can't pick the year you contend. The baseball gods <laughs> pick for you when yeah. you contend. And the clock is ticking on Joey Votto, who gets older. It's ticking on Sonny Gray, who gets another year deeper in his contract dealing with injuries. It's ticking certainly on Nick Castellanos, who might be here for three more months and then gone. You just can't inside of this window. I always use the window analogy. This was the equivalent of pulling the window down on Nick Crawl's fingers and saying, that's it, you can't do anything else. And that's not fair. No, you're right. You're exactly right. So let's say that Nick Castellanos or Nick Crawl doesn't do anything else, that the front office doesn't do anything else. The way this team is currently constructed, and they're going to have guys coming back, Michael Feliz, Michael Lorenzen, TJ Antone, Lucas Sims, Mike Moustakis, Nixon Zell, go on and go on and go on. 
currently constructed if they just wait for them to get healthy, and the, the term that has been used by the front office is to keep their head above water. If they continue to do that, is that enough in the second half of the season? No. Well, there's no there's no evidence to lead us to that conclusion. When they were healthy, it wasn't clearly enough. Heck, before all these injuries happened, they were a sub-500 team. <laughs> um, I don't believe any of them come over the, the hill in the form of the Calvary and the, and help is on the way. Um, Antone and Sims, I, I'm, until I see their rehab assignment begin, I'm saying they're at least a month away. Sh- right. show, me their reha- so, show me they're cleared from their PRP injections in the elbows <laughs> and everything else that they can actually start a rehab assignment. Uh, Nick Senzel, I've projected what I think he can be for four years. I can no longer do that. Yeah. I know what Nick Senzel is, and it's not enough right now. It's ver- he's, he's versatile, but he gets hurt. Uh, Moose, I, I don't know. Um, I, I like Mike Moustakas, but what realistically has he done in a Reds uniform? Um, so I think it does create some real juicy topics for Sports Talk Radio of, ooh, who's going to get <laughs> playing time now? But I think when you add it all up, it doesn't add up to being enough to win the division. I think it's clearly a two-team race. I asked Danny Graves this on Sports Talk. You can forget the Pirates. I think you can write off the Cardinals. The Cubs are going to deal, pick some name from above, Kimbrell, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, maybe some, maybe all. They're not going to be a factor in this. This is a two-team race with 72 games to go. If you're not going to win the division this year, when are you going to win the division? Yeah. That's the way I look at it, which that's, means you got to do you got to do something. That's a good point. The Reds are 16 and 8 in Milwaukee since 2019 coming off of a sweep. They are 31 and 24 or 31 and 14 against the division since September of last year. So they are looking good on that. You brought up Nixon Zell and Mike Mustakis, and one of the biggest concerns I've had all season and dating back to last year is Eugenio Suarez. Mm. What do you make of that? I, I think that Sinzel and Moustakas are candidates to get some of his at-bats when they come back. What What do you make of Suarez, and what is your concern level? I, I, I don't know. It, it's so confusing. I feel like I keep cycling through possible explanations. I've cycled through, <laughs> well, it's the injury in the swimming pool last year and the surgery, and maybe it, it's not quite right. But then I look and see the, the power numbers. He's still hitting some home runs, but – the drop-off is across the board from 2019. His batting average down every year, on base down every year, slugging down every year, OPS down every year. Um, he's been a mess in the field. He's shown little little blips of like a, a three-game or four-game run where you think he's putting it back together, and then he goes right back to looking like and, and swinging at pitches. And mis- I, I said earlier, it looks like he swings and misses pitches by more inches <laughs> on average than any hitter in baseball yeah. who swings and misses Pitches, and I don't know if that's guessing and guessing wrong, but I, I just, I, I, he's got three years left at like thirty-eight million left on the contract, and this contract has gone from looking like a real team-friendly contract to more of an albatross right now because there's no signs it's it's going to revert back to 2019. It looks more clearly like 2019 is an outlier, and he's never going to be anywhere close to that again. I agree 100%. Now we're approaching the second half of the season. It's starting here in just a couple of days. And for a team that's six games over 500, they seem to have more questions than they have answers, which is relatively interesting. I want to finish with one question. And last I checked, circling back to Nick Cassianos, last I checked, you are not an all-star outfielder for the National League. But we have seen a connection among the fans and the players with Nick Cassianos. Do you think, and how much do you think it plays a role to have friendship, to play in a baseball city, to have fan support, 
for Nick Castellanos when he considers making the decision to come or go this offseason? That's another great question. And my first thought that just popped into my head was Trevor Bauer, mm-hmm. who played it perfect. I, I shouldn't say played it because that means he was running a con. I don't believe he or Nick are running a con in in quote-unquote, sucking up to the city or making it look good. I truly believe Trevor Bauer enjoyed being here last year. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, he went to the Dodgers back home and got a gazillion dollars a year. Uh, Nick Castellanos, I believe, truly believes and and truly enjoys this environment. Uh, Clearly, he's established a relationship and a bond with Jesse Winker. I go back to what Mike Moustakas said about the chemistry in this clubhouse and how last year it was shortchanged because of COVID. They didn't go, get to go out on the road and eat dinner together and really bond as a team, and more of that's come this year. I believe all that to be true. I, I think I, I thought there was a cool scene over the weekend in Milwaukee prior to the game uh, along the dugout and by the, the, the netting. It was Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker and Nick's family and Nick's son. And Nick's son was, was doing a rap with Jesse Winker and they did a handshake through the netting. And I just thought it was so cool that one of Nick's teammates was so in with his son and connecting with his son. Now, does that ultimately stack up to a decision that says, I got to stay in Cincinnati? It's hard to make that argument because it's it's Scott Boros, and it's an opportunity to opt out of a contract. I truly believe he's going to opt out of his contract. Mm-hmm. I tru- Why wouldn't he? If you're making $14 million this year and you can opt out to see how much you're worth to the rest of baseball, why wouldn't you do that for this kind of year? Right. I truly believe he'll give the Reds a chance to – match I could in, in theory saying him say look I love being here but I'm getting x amount from teams a b and c if you can match that I want to stay here but if not I've loved being here and, and I hope you respect my decision but I got to go someplace else and I would not hold that against him yeah I wouldn't either in a similar situation with Trevor Bauer maybe big Bob is just big brain Bob and he was saving all this money to pay it to <laughs> Nick Castellanos maybe we will uh, we will just never know or maybe we'll find out at the end of the season. Lance, thank you for joining me. It's a quick hitter. It was fun. And uh, where can people follow you, hear you, and uh, find out what you have going on? One, uh, I was honored you asked to be on this. I enjoyed it. I hope I did well enough I can be asked back. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, at Lance McAllister. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Lance McAllister Sports Talk. I've got a blog at 700WLW.com. And certainly through the iHeartRadio app, you can catch the show and also uh, listen to the podcast of all the shows as well. I think I've covered all my uh, social media uh, platforms. Well, there you have it. I'm also on Instagram. Wow. Yes, you are a great food account on Instagram. That's about all I know how to do, just take pictures of food. Because the other stuff like moving stuff and and emojis (laughs) around it, I I I haven't figured that out yet. Well, we're still working on it. Lance, thank you. Thank you. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Welcome back to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I am your host, Audie Elmore. Appreciate Lance McAllister for stopping by. Talking a little bit of Reds baseball, all-star game, second half of the season. Really do appreciate Lance. Appreciate that conversation. You can hear him, like I said, uh, weeknights on 700 WLW iHeartRadio app, 700WLW.com slash listen. I want to touch briefly on an experience I had over the weekend. I uh, met up with a friend of mine who has been on this show multiple times by the name of Dustin Lorenzo. Had a couple drinks before uh, the FC Cincinnati Columbus Crew game at TQL Stadium, a.k.a. the Hell is Real Derby. And uh, it was really, really cool. It's the first time I've had the chance to get down to TQL Stadium. I didn't go to the game. I just hung out around the area, walked around a little bit, 
kind of wanted to get a vibe and, and catch the atmosphere and what was going around, walk through Washington Park and through over the Rhine and that sort of area, and then eventually met up with Dustin and a couple friends at a bar and then walked over and really kind of got to see the the feeling and the vibe leading up to it. And it was really, really cool. Number one, this was the first game at TQL Stadium in which there were opposing fans there. It's obviously an easy trip for Columbus fans, and there are a lot of them. They have a massive fan base to uh, make the trip down to Cincinnati and, and follow their team, which, by the way, are the reigning MLS champions. And uh, that was pretty cool to see a, a big group of them in that situation. Dustin, obviously a big uh, crew fan, so he was there and uh, supporting his uh, his black and gold and uh, But the orange and blue, man, and, and the pride of Cincy, I believe they call themselves the pride, which is their big uh, supporter section. And, and to see them march through the street and they've got smoke bombs and a, a TIFO, I think is what you call it, that big thing that they unfurl in the stadium and um, flags and drums and bells and whistles and all sorts of that was, was really, really cool. And, and one of the things I love about soccer is so- soccer brings atmosphere. And atmosphere is my favorite thing about sports. I love, love, love atmosphere, a place where you really truly feel like this is is bigger than you, like there's more going on than anything, you know, that that has to do with you. So I was really, really loving the atmosphere around the stadium. And so I walked with them up until I couldn't walk anymore into the front gate. And then I, I parted ways and I walked across the street to this bar and this bar is called The Pitch. And uh, it was basically created right there, built right there for FC Cincinnati supporters. There's a rooftop there. You're literally right across the street from TQL Stadium. I put a story of it uh, on my Instagram story. You may have seen it, at Audie Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. And uh, it's really, really cool. They've got massive TVs. They've got multiple rooms. They've got a food truck. They've got outside. They've got inside. They've got rooftops. They've got table seating. They've got bar seating. They've got these framed jerseys everywhere. They've got all sorts of Cincinnati memorabilia. It was just an awesome, awesome place, an incredible environment. So I head upstairs, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this big screen, you know, kind of like this horseshoe-shaped bar, uh, U-shaped bar up there, and watching the game on this big screen, and FC Cincinnati strikes first within the first eight minutes, and this place loses its mind. The top blows off of this place. It was fantastic to see that. You know, there's a the meme going around and has been around for several years now since the World Cup of English soccer fans. I believe it's English, England or Sweden or somebody watching a, at a bar. They're all stacked and packed together and watching a big screen and they just all go crazy. And that since has been turned into a meme a thousand times. People put different things on the screen, but that's what it was like. Everybody's hands in the air. Beer goes flying for some people, uh, scarves waving and and all sorts of stuff. It was just really cool to see it so packed and, and to so into uh, the soccer scene in Cincinnati. And, you know, it, it was a reminder for me why this team is in the MLS, why this team has gotten the support that it's gotten from its fan base and, and obviously from MLS as well. So to see FC Cincinnati and, and their fans and the the passion that they have, not only, you know, those going to the game, but those outside the game and supporting a local business across the street was really, really cool. And I can't wait to get inside of TQL Stadium and check out a match there. And, you know, I talked to Dustin after the game, and Dustin is uh, an avid crew fan. He's been a part of the Nordecki, I believe, is what they call it, the supporter section for the crew. And he was just at 
Lower.com Field, a.k.a. New Crew, whatever you want to call it, in Columbus just a couple of weeks ago when they opened their new stadium. And uh, he said that the atmosphere at TQL was as good as anything he's ever seen. And I think that is a massive statement from someone like him who is a big soccer fan and, and obviously someone who has um, uh, seen a lot of uh, high-level atmospheres like he has in Columbus and especially the one that he saw just a couple of weeks ago. So I thought that was a pretty cool, a pretty big deal, pretty cool thing. And uh, pretty neat to say. And I can't wait to check out another game, uh, a game, at TQL Stadium. One last point I want to make. I want to talk about the Home Run Derby. The Home Run Derby took place on Tuesday night in uh, Colorado at the Rockies Stadium there. I believe it's called Coors Field. And they uh, they made a minor rule change. Pete's, Pete Alonzo won it, by the way. Pete Alonzo from the New York Mets first baseman he is uh he was the reigning champ from 2019 obviously there was no derby in 2020 he goes and wins it again this year in 2021 so he is back to back and uh, here's an interesting nugget for you Pete Alonzo salary wise from 2019 until now has made 1.47 million dollars that's for being the first baseman of the New York Mets he has made two million dollars from 2019 until now from being the home run derby champion so how about that? For Pete Alonso has made more money winning the home run derby than he has playing for the Mets over the course of the last three years. I think that's pretty interesting. And uh, so Pete Alonso wins it. He makes it look easy. But they made a minor rule change that completely impacted the broadcast. And let me explain. So a few years ago when the All-Star game came to Cincinnati, they changed the home run derby format where it's a bracket players compete against other players there's a timed round you have a certain amount of time to hit as many home runs as you can yada 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 and one of the big caveats in the rules was you could not swing again until the other ball had landed so if you hit a moonshot home run 500 feet you can't swing at another pitch until that ball comes down if you hit a little dribbler to third base you can pretty much swing right away again and so that made it easier for the television broadcast to follow these home runs, for the players to admire their shots, for the crowd to get into it. And so this year they went away with that rule where they said you can swing as many times as you want, you don't have to wait for the ball to come down, so on and so forth. So that presented a challenge for everybody. It presented a challenge for the people that are producing this product uh, in the truck there for ESPN. It it created a problem for the uh, play-by-play commentators Carl Ravitch, Jason Benetti, Eduardo uh, Perez, Jessica Mendoza, so on and so forth. It, it became really hard for them to talk about it because there's just so many swings going on at the same time and so many balls in the air. And, you know, I, I felt I felt like at first I was really glad because I was like, okay, we get to see more home runs. But at the same time, I think it took away from the broadcast. And I'm sure if you were there at Coors Field, it probably took away from the experience a little bit too because – Instead of just watching home run after home run, you're you're just you're trying to find the ball in the air after you watch one go by you or something like that, and you never know where the next one's at or where it's coming from and things like that. And we saw people get hit. We saw uh, somebody shagging fly balls get hurt. We saw um, a guy f- flip over a railing trying to make a catch. So it was kind of a, a crazy night. And obviously Shohei Otani was the favorite going in. He didn't uh, didn't make it. Didn't win. So. Sucks to be him, but it was interesting, and uh, it was fun to watch. The Home Run Derby is one of my favorite events of the year. I love, love, love watching it. I wish that the NFL could match that sort of intensity in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the Pro Bowl is is probably not the answer moving forward just because of injuries and cost and all that sort of thing, 
but the NFL has to find ways to get the, the, the players engaging with the fans and doing something fun and uh, skills competitions or whatever it might be. The NBA does a fantastic job, the three-point competition, dunk contest, skills contest, all that stuff. So really, really cool. Hats off to Major League Baseball uh, for doing an okay job this year, and hopefully they will uh, fix those issues moving forward. So that is pretty much going to do it for me. I do appreciate you listening, do appreciate you being here and listening to Ball Don't Lie. Remember, Ball Don't Lie. And as always, have fun, be safe, go Bucks. Oh, and thanks, Lance.